Welcome to Apollo's Muses, the COVID culture and cash series. Hi everybody, welcome to week goodness knows what of lockdown here in the UK and to episode three of the COVID culture and cash series of podcasts. My name's David Burgess, I'm a fundraising consultant working in the arts and culture sector and I'm the director of Apollo Fundraising. And through this series, I'm chatting to arts fundraisers about their experience of fundraising during the coronavirus lockdown. Over the next couple of days, I'm talking to fundraisers who have set up appeals specifically as a result of coronavirus. And first up, I'm talking to Kieran Jones. Kieran is Development Manager at the Young Classical Artist Trust, or YCAT. YCAT exists to support classical musicians at the early stages of their careers. And they've got a fantastic track record of supporting artists who've gone on to be some of the biggest names in classical music around the world. Artists at all stages of their careers have been impacted by lockdown and by the closure of concert halls, opera houses, music festivals around the world. But those at the early stages of their careers find themselves in a particularly vulnerable position. YCAT estimate that in the first 24 hours of lockdown, over £60,000 worth of income was lost for the artists they represent. So they moved very quickly to make their reserves available to try and provide some financial support to the artists that had been negatively impacted. But they realised that wasn't going to be enough, given the negative financial impact this was going to have. So they set up a hardship fund and they went out to their existing supporters, originally asking them to match the amount of money that had been made available from the organisation's reserves. Through this conversation, Kieran's really generous in sharing how this appeal came about, the messaging they used, how they went about getting this out to people, and the fantastic response they've had from people, which would see the appeal ending up raising 20 times the original target. Hi everybody, welcome to the third episode of the COVID Culture and Cash podcast series. Delighted to have Kieran Jones from the Young Classical Artists Trust here today. How are you, Kieran? I'm good, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for giving up your time this sunny-ish Monday morning to to chat to me. Um, For those that don't know you, do you want to say a little bit about you, your background and uh, Young Classical Artists Trust, what they do? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I've been working in development for five years uh, in London, starting at the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, then moving to the Royal College of Music, where I was the assistant to the director of development, working on the £40 million More Music campaign. And now I'm at the Young Classical Artists Trust as development manager, where I'm responsible for the delivery of all aspects of the fundraising. WICAT, um, well... It's quite an extraordinary organisation, really, which was established about 35 years ago by Sir Ian Hunter. And he was a sort of a prolific, a prolific man in the, in the agent world and also in the festival world. Set up things like Brighton Festival and different things and managed Jacqueline Dupre, Heiting and Daniel Barenboim, just to name a couple of huge artists that are still highly regarded now. And he was, he was seeing time after time that interesting, interesting young artists were being missed out because they weren't necessarily commercially viable and weren't established enough as, as young people to, you know, have the qualities that agents would look for to be commercially viable. So he set up YCAT in a, in a, in a way to address that need of the longer term support to help young artists become established and then become viable, um, which, you know, is amazing and, and we, we still do that today looking after you know maybe 20 young artists at a time giving them the opportunities they need to flourish as international artists concert performance and um, performance opportunities concerts marketing all that all that stuff that um commercial managers can't take a risk on because it's too um you know financially risky and some of the artists over the years we supported you know alison balsam John McGregor, the Heath Quartet, Birch Quartet, Leah Williams, Ian Bostridge, um, that you know, all still artists that are working today. Um, and I guess another real central part of what we do 
is well since 2016 we've developed uh, a career um, development opportunity for, for all freelance musicians and artists we, which we called sounding board which is to give freelance musicians key opportunities and mentorship and guidance in how they can forge careers as freelance musicians separate to those who are at a different level of international and um, solo standard um, so yeah I mean it's it's a wonderful organization that sits between education um, a career the agent world the concert world so it's it's, it's quite unique to use a word that's sometimes overused, I suppose. <laughs> and I'm guessing looking at your sort of career history, uh, do you come from a, a musical background yourself? Yeah, so I studied at Cardiff University. Uh, I studied music there and, and singing and performance was my, was, my main, um, was my main thing. But then came to London to, at the Philharmonic Orchestra um, and found my feet in fundraising, which I thought was just a wonderful, a wonderful thing. And I always had connections with people, and enjoyed um, that side of things. So, and still singing and, and doing music now. Um, I'm not going to ask you to, to sing for us, but we might <laughs> we might add some some links at the end to where people can can hear you perform. <laughs> but obviously, I mean the the coronavirus and the lockdown has had a huge impact on artists, hasn't it? And, and particularly those. Uh, starting to find their their feet in in the profession and we can chat about that in in just a second but in terms of fundraising for for YCAP what does that normally look like what are the sort of main sources of income for you so the main sources of income are primarily our friends and donor scheme which ranges from 75 pounds to a thousand pounds which is a very very loyal and supporter base um, and very organic without anyone who's really worked on development for YCAT in a strategic way before, which was something that really attracted me to YCAT. And Trust and Foundations is also a huge, um, a huge part of that. So over 80% of the income comes from, from fundraising with no public subsidy at all. Um, and what's that 80% look like in pounds and pence? Um, well, the, the budget's around about half a, half a million pounds. So right. um, around about, you know, 400,000 that comes in from, from philanthropy, which is astonishing. And so, so what do the members get? What do members and patrons receive for their, their annual, annual payments? So patrons, they, we, we have a, a quite a long, long established concert um, series at Wigmore Hall, a lunchtime concert series, which is a real core part of our work in introducing the artists to um, that sort of level of concert. So there, there are some benefits of tickets there, um, but otherwise it's it's really centred around philanthropy rather than um, benefit driven. It's more more a recurring donation than a, as you say, absolutely sort of proposition. And then, and since joining, I too have developed a more more strategic approach to major giving. Brought a program in called Adopt an Artist, which is something, you know, five thousand plus to to really sort of develop the income stream that Wycat has because historically it has been at a smaller friends level uh, of those who are, you know, just loving to see the artists and a lot of, a lot of concert societies and music clubs that we work with around the UK too, their audiences and their board members are also sort of friends of Waikat in, in, in an organic way to help uh, the artists, which is, is, is wonderful. How's that sponsor an artist scheme going? Has that been popular? Well, it's only been launched for a year, um, right. so it's something I, I brought in about a year ago, and it has it, it has been very popular. I mean, there there are four or five already who um, are, are interested, and it's it's in in a similar way to a scholarship program, I suppose. Is the you know the clearest thing I can see a parallel with is mm. you you know you become the named artist of the foundation or the or the individual who might want their name carried in biographies around the world. And do they get to choose the artist or is that sort of uh, something that you match make for, for them? Something that we match make, but, you know, we can be, if, if there's a, obviously an affinity with an instrument that we can sort of make work, um, then, then we try and do that. I was going to ask if any particular instruments or, or whether you see any patterns as, as to the type of artists that, that people like to support? Well, I think that's one of the, well, one of the stranger things about Waika, I suppose, is that people are, the artist is selected on sheer ability and artistry. Mm. So, I mean, at one time, you know, the, 
the roster we have at the moment is an accordion player, recorder player, bassoon player, horn player. <laughs> so it's not it's not necessarily the every you know we're not all pianists or all, all violinists. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a there's quite a broad range. Um, our chairman, for example, is an a recorder enthusiast. So that match it was it was a perfect um, a perfect one. And so how have you seen that fundraising income impacted by coronavirus and, and the lockdown? Have you started to see it taking taking effect? Well, in terms of our regular regular donations and recurring donations, that, of course, is still something that, that is um, trickling in. But for me personally, the you know, a lot of fundraising events that we had planned for cultivating donors and networks and on, on, on a larger scale, which is something we've been really trying to work at for the last year, has completely folded, of course. Um, and seeing two foundations who are not meeting, trustees not meeting and saying, we may be delaying our meetings until later on in the year or changing criteria, which for, for a small charity like YCAT is a real problem. Mm. Um, so in that sense, I mean, there hasn't been a, a direct impact. So, so to say, but we're sort mm. of seeing, we're seeing the effects of, you know, maybe things that were planned for the next month or the mm. next months or things that we'd forecast that, or that might come in are in jeopardy really. So, so that risk of an impact a little bit further down the line, a little bit further down the line. Yeah, exactly. So as, as the sole fundraiser at, at YCATS, what have you been focusing on? What have you been working on over the last few weeks? So the last few weeks I've been working on, on a, on a hardship fund has been the primary focus of, of what I've been trying to achieve and looking at other sources of emergency income too, but I'm sure we'll talk about more about the hardship fund in, in, in a minute. Yeah. So we mentioned that obviously that artists are, are having a tough time. Do you want to say a little bit more about how this is impacting the people that YCAT's there to support? Well, I, I suppose the, the main problem is the artists we support are extremely vulnerable in general, being young artists. Um, to get promoters and concert halls to take the risk of booking them is something that YCAT's worked 35 years to, to be in a place to do. Mm. And we, we're very, in a very fortunate position that promoters and concert halls from around the world look to YCAT to introduce the most interesting young artists because there is that trust of how we select and you know, the standards that we hold. And even if we're, if we're seeing that sort of overnight three or four months worth of concerts have disappeared for them, one, our quartet, the Castellian Quartet were really rather sadly in New York, ready to make their debut at Carnegie Hall and Carnegie Hall closed. So, you know, that whole trip, all the, you know, thinking of the visas, the flights, the, the hotels they had, regardless of the artistic opportunity, um, was completely floundered, which had been something that had been working on for maybe four or five years. And there must be quite a strong emotional impact of that. I mean, playing Carnegie Hall for the first time, for someone that aspires to be a professional musician, I mean, that is that thing in the distance that you're working towards, isn't it? It's that absolutely sort of key and milestone. I, and what what we work to do is, we always say it's the right opportunity is the right time for the artist. So it's something that's been building for, for a couple of years. And suddenly it's, you know, it's absolutely ready. They're at the right point to make that debut and make that, make that appearance. And also the emotional, I suppose, think of the emotional side of things, the amount of rehearsing that has gone into a program that's going to, to be at that level. It's, it's hours and hours and hours um, that has just been, been wiped away. But, but also thinking about the income side of things. Um, mm. YCAT isn't there necessarily just to give concerts to young artists. It's more about the pastoral side and the developmental opportunities and making sure they find their feet as artists um, is the primary focus. But there is a responsibility for the income we give to them, which we've seen sort of, you know, over 150,000 pounds in concert fees in, the, in three or four months to the artist, which is significant when you think about them having to, you know, pay mortgages or um, different things. So that, that is also a worry and a responsibility that we're, we're feeling too. So the Hardship Fund's set up to help address this, I'm guessing. So what kind of support is the Hardship Fund aiming to provide? So 
probably best if I, if I go back to sort of the, the way of how we came about thinking mm. about it. So between Monday and the 16th and Tuesday the 17th, which are dates that are probably etched in everyone's memory, um, we saw most of the diaries just disappear for the young artists mm. and losing income of around £60,000 just in that night. We sort of calculated really quickly. Um, and the situation was developing really rapidly and Wycat's mission is artist first completely. Not about not about the money, it's all about the artist and their and their welfare. So straight away Alistair Tate, the CEO of Wycat and I sat down and we decided to use our reserves to give them some financial support as a gesture and £250 to each of them, as well as soaking up any cost of travel and accommodation that was related to the cancelled concerts, which we just decided this is what we have to do. We have to take, take that burden ourselves for any of the cancelled work. And then on the Tuesday afternoon, I just decided, why don't we try and do some sort of hardship fund? And I, I'd been umming and ahhing about it for the, for the day because I thought it's quite a sensitive thing to be asking for money from people in, the, in these times. And you know, as, as, as we know, it, you know, doing it wrong can, can really make or break an organisation's reputation. But I thought there was a gut feeling in the both of us in Alistair and just said, actually, let's just, let's just do something because it's right to do. And it's right on with our mission of supporting the artists. So we set up the hardship fund initially just to match fund our reserve giving. Um, so that it was £5,000 from Wycat and then £5,000 as a campaign. Just to say very, very simply, this is what the artists, this is the loss they're making. Mm. Anything we can do to help is is a real help in these times so yeah that was that was basically the premise of of how we came about launching the campaign and just really to give them any sort of gesture of support um, was the initial thing and so who was the target audience for the campaign was this going out predominantly to your existing members and supporters or was this... exactly exactly our, our our donors it was something really small i thought we could just write to you know a simple email to the donors and saying this is this, this is how it's impacted our artists just in the, in the you know one day almost um, we can't we can't see what the future holds but if there's something we can all do to help this is what this is what Wycat's done to help if you could also do something to help it would be amazing um, so, so that's so that, just to the donors so really. was that five thousand pound target was that set out in the the message that you wrote out <clears> completely with? yeah right. so we we, we really really fortunately had been um lucky enough to have a new website developed at the start of the year which was through a grant that um i secured with a foundation and one of the one of the functions of the website was you know able to to launch a campaign and, and an appeal with a target at the bottom of the of the appeal page so just set five thousand so people could see as it was going up and that felt like a very realistic amount of money um, to achieve in the time that we we set, and and how did that five thousand compare to other campaigns that Wycats run of that nature? Has the organisation done anything like this before? No. no. So this is the very first. It's the very first sort of public appeal that Wycat had done, um, yeah, or appeal in general. Um, so we were very very careful in thinking we wouldn't want to be too ambitious and not meet a target, mm. and look like we hadn't met the target um but also being realistic of what we wanted people to to give and i thought we thought that five thousand pound because it was the amount that we'd used from our reserves seemed like a very natural amount that could be brought in by our by our donor base and as we're going to hear in a second uh, obviously ended up beating that target by <laughs> by some way but, but before we come on to that in terms of that message so who was sort of the voice of that message? Did that come from the CEO or did it come from you? Or who within the organization was was sort of the, the visible side of that, that message? Well, it was both Alistair and I, um, because the donor communication is from me generally. So all that sort of side of things was from me. And then I got Alistair to write a, a quote about the situation too. So it's sort of the both of us involved because um, we're he 
Alistair and I heavily involved in all of the fundraising, being a team of six. Um, right. you know, we work very, very closely together on everything we do in, in fundraising. But in terms of the communication with the donors, that was from me. And then there was input from Alistair too. And so start off with a target of 5,000. Tell us, how, how, did the, how did your supporters respond to the appeal? Well, I guess there was some sort of hesitation as we, as we press send and, and launch this, this thing. But again, as I said before, that was that gut feeling that we had to do something. Um, and in 48 hours, the reaction was just completely astonishing. There were replies coming left, right and centre and people saying this is, you know, exactly what YCAT stands for. You know, this is completely, completely right. I'm so happy that I could help. Um, and in, within 48 hours, we smashed £5,000 um, and the amount was just raising daily. And three weeks later, we were at £100,000, <laughs> which was just something we hadn't, obviously hadn't anticipated. Mm. Um, but people seeing that, I think people understanding that was our mission mm. and us putting that across saying, you know, in, in a time where jobs are being cut everywhere and we're just saying we're here to look after the artists and this is what we need to do and people really feeling compelled to um join join in on that which was just wonderful and so to get to that 100k that you've raised so far um what what size gifts have you seen what, what's sort of been the range and, and the average donation amount that people have been been giving the average i mean donations amount have gone from 20 pounds to twenty-five thousand pounds, um, in in that sort of in that sort of sphere. But the general gift has been, you know, five thousand at the lower end. There have just been some really very generous people who have said, "We can we can do something here, so we will." Our board were very helpful in in doing that too, raising a large amount of money there. Um, and yeah, so I think I think the general it was a generally small donation that gathered a lot a lot of momentum. And, which again was really quite heartwarming too. Mm. Um, it, money that obviously means a lot to people at, at these times, and every penny that was given, you could tell was given for the right reason, um, which is wonderful. And so nice to get those supportive messages because I've, I've seen from the the web page and the donation page, people can <laughs> type in a message. That's right. People can comment on the on the page, which is really nice, and sort of say why they've given, or just um, yeah, just leave a message and say it, it's really we will need the artists in the future. I think was one of the nicest one of the nicest messages saying that we really appreciate that it's a difficult time and we'll all need them after this. So here's my hundred pounds. Um, hope to see you all soon, which is you know just wonderful. Really, really nice. Um, nice for, for us to, to feel that connection with the with the donors and nice that they can still feel like they're making a difference. And so you mentioned obviously getting to 100k is a, a surprise compared to the £5,000 you thought was going to be the, the sort of realistic amount mm -hmm. given that the organisation's not, not really done anything like this before. In terms of the individual responses, have you been surprised, have you found that some of the people giving those higher higher value gifts are people you, you didn't expect that size of a donation from or has it largely fallen along the lines of size of donation or size of membership they've got? Yeah, I, that's a, an interesting question. The expectations were completely warped in some ways because <laughs> we weren't expecting anyone to give more than just £100 just to help us get to the £5,000. But in terms of where it sits with people's annual donations, which, you know, major giving is a new part to YCAT too. Those higher level gifts were equal, if not more, than their annual gifts, which um, was very, very lucky and very fortunate for us. And did you change the target on the webpage as you went? Did you set different stretch targets to keep that momentum going? Yeah. So after, after of course, after that first 48 hours, I reverted back to the, the, the outline and the, the campaign plan that I put together and decided that we would up the up the target almost every week as we saw fit mm. as, as pledges and donations were coming in um, but also very wary not to 
say someone pledged to give £25,000, for example, not put that straight in because I didn't want people to feel that their gifts were insignificant. Mm. Um, so we kept, we kept the individual page on the website at £30,000 max. That's, what, that's the decision we made. Um, and then other offline donations we included in the total. But I wanted to be really, really very careful that people who were giving £500, which was a lot of money to some people um, who were giving it, but wanted to, to support, not making them feel inadequate because someone had given £25,000 and maybe we didn't need that support. Um, so that striking that balance was, you know, feeling our way through mm. and just increasing it as we had the pledges and, and things come in felt really important. And so how have you been administering this? Because obviously you're all working remotely, so you, I'm guessing you, you can't really get into the office. How, how on, on a sort of practical level has it worked in terms of processing these donations? Well, as I said earlier in the year with the new website, that was really key to the, the success of the administration of this um, campaign. And we're able to process everything through the platform on the website. It all comes through to the back room and we can um, gather all the data there, which basically means it's, it's a one-man job in some ways. I was able to see the donations come through, the email of the people who had, who had given the names, did they want to be contacted or not, and then get in touch with them um, that way. So it was a really very easy process. So it's all been, all been online rather than checks or any telephone donations and things like that well there, there were some people who sort of replied to emails and said can we we'd love to make a check and it's sort of saying well we can't get to the bank so if there's a possibility that there is another way then that's fine but I, some people have given in checks and they've been at the office and will you know collect them in due course and um, but i think people are really quite happy to to adapt their sort of giving mm. to using the website, which for some people isn't an easy thing or something natural. And um, we're just very fortunate that it was such an easy giving journey on the on the new platform. So what system's powering that new platform? Is it one you've had built specifically built bespoke or is there a, an underlying uh, payment platform being used? So it's, it's the it's Stripe is the platform oh, that okay, so um, we're using, but the the interface of the website is completely bespoke and just so, so simple to use, which also was really lovely to have some comments from people to say how easy that was because no donations had come through the website before that. <laughs> so that too was a risk. <laughs> and there's nothing like stress testing it with a, a major campaign, is there? <laughs> no, if you're going to do it, you may as well do it. Um, go big or go home. <laughs> so you've now found yourself both thanks to the appeal and to having a website that works uh, with a large number of people who've signaled actually a, a higher level of love for the organization through making these donations and, and the comments. So what's the next step now in terms of thanking these supporters and engaging them beyond this appeal? So in terms of thanking supporters, every donation that came through, I wrote to them personally. Um, for those who wanted to be contacted, of course, I sent them a personal email um, with absolute gratitude for their um, support, not copy and pasted, everyone tailored, because I think that's a really important part and something as a small organization we can offer. Um, and that sense of sincerity is really important to me as a fundraiser, but also to YCAT. And then... The artist also wants to say thank you. So we managed to put together a really lovely video of all the artists in their own languages around the world saying thank you to the donors. So that, you know, from French to Macedonian to um, German, all, all, sorts of, all sorts of different languages just to say thank you for helping us. And they also put together, our marketing manager, Barbara, put together a wonderful video um, of Schubert's Andy music and they all spoke the poetry and just said you know thank you which was really nice so those sort of real personal touches of, of thanks have gone out to those who have supported um, the campaign.
And are those videos available online? Can we put a link to those? Because I think the, I definitely are. To see them. They are. They are available online. So uh, along alongside this sort of donor donor work and cultivation of our networks, we also started to softly message things online for all all the lovely comments that were sent through the website, and just saying here's a link, and then put the videos online to really celebrate the success of the hundred thousand pounds. Well, over hundred thousand pounds that was raised. You mentioned the artists have been getting involved in terms of some of that, that messaging. How have you found that and how have the artists found, found that? Historically, it has been um, something of a struggle to get artists to connect um, with our marketing and, and campaigns and fundraising. And we're very careful of how, how that relationship is managed because we're aware that it is important for them to understand how to do that at a certain point, but also not to overuse them. But this campaign has really brought that together. So we've seen the artists wanting to thank the donors who have supported and really being more engaged with WICA as an organization and saying, how can we help providing little videos of thanks? And I think that connection with the artists with WICA and the donors with WICA and that cross crossover with the artists and donors is something that will really strengthen our um, our program and help them understand how they need to interact with organizations going forward because digital is something that every organization is addressing, whether it be you know interviews in the green room of Wigmore Hall or um, backstage at the Opera House or however it works, they have to understand that um, that relationship between organizations, artists and the family of supporters. So that has been really rewarding and fruitful. And I guess that's something that, as you say, is, is going to last throughout their career. Every organization they're performing with, I mean, there are going to be constant calls on them to come and meet supporters, take part in various receptions. They might have sponsors that, um, supporting the concerts they're, they're doing. So it is going to be a long-term career skill, that, isn't it? Absolutely. And something that we're as I said, we're really conscious about it. It's not um, just throwing them into situations where they're, they're uncomfortable. Mm. It's more about teaching them how that relationship works and then personally taking on that relationship with a, with a supporter. And that's one, of the, that's one of the nicest things that YCAT can offer is that close relationship with the artists. Um, that after concerts, if there's a particular supporter who the artist has had a relationship with, they go for lunch or... You know, they stay at their houses when they're in London and play concerts for them in their house. Um, but I think that relationship would really deepen. And everything we do is about sustained activity. So it's about teaching the artist over the three to five years they're with YCAT how to manage that relationship and how to work um, in that way. So this in some ways is throwing them into, into the deep end and, and them sort of... But, them having to engage, but also wanting to engage, which is really, um, really nice for us. So do you feel, obviously what's going on at the moment is, is terrible and it's having a huge impact on people, but it's also sort of feels that you're going to come out of the other side of this with a much stronger connection to your supporters, a much deeper relationship, particularly with the people that have supported this appeal. Is that, would that be a fair comment? I think that would be a very fair comment. And I think that's a real opportunity for all organizations in this crisis is just speak to your, speak to your supporters. Um, everyone's human, you know, maybe not asking them to give money, just mm -hmm. saying, we're hoping you're okay. Here's a nice message from someone in the organization, just wishing you well. And I've certainly found that of course, being in touch with every person who's given personally and trying to spread the word as far as we can about the hardship fund is really just reconnecting with some donors that I hadn't spoken to for a very long time. Some donors who had just come to concerts and not necessarily been contactors, mm. um, but having real, real nice conversations with people who I haven't spoken to for a long time. So that in that sense, I think this is an opportunity for us to deepen relationships with our supporters, but also there are lots of lots of initiatives and lots of campaigns and we're seeing huge amounts of philanthropy. Um, like the big night in last week, for example, is a, is a prime example publicly of 
people who want to help. And I hope that as we come out of this crisis, that people will see the central role that fundraising, but more importantly, donors play in the cultural sector at keeping it alive and without investment in it or without paying real importance to the donors and fundraising, that it could have all fallen apart right now if, if things weren't if things were in a strong position. And I think, you know, as a long way around your question, yes, our, our engagement with supporters is a lot better now. And we can continue that engagement going forward with those new donors who have given to the campaign and introduced to Wildcat for the first time, um, which is, again, another opportunity to teach them about our organization and show them other ways they can support or not, but also, as a broader PR mm. piece of work, we're, we're able to to really hone in on our mission and say we acted on on our mission. And I guess this time will be a real point of judgment in the future for future funders who will, will probably look back at this time and see how people reacted. And I think that sort of trust that the donors will see that we were able and did act on our mission will be a real, um, a real strong connection going forward. I hope so anyway. <laughs> well, I think you're already seeing that play out, aren't you, with some of those messages of this is exactly what we expect YCAT to be doing at this time. It's great to see you, see you doing that. So it must be really heartening to see that people actually really understand what it is you're there to do and that broader need that you're trying to, to respond to. Yeah. You mentioned uh, a couple of tips there then in terms of what fundraisers should be focusing on. If people are thinking then about setting up an appeal at this time, what tips or advice would you give to them? Well, I can't say that I'm any expert in campaigns, um, but I think we know from the past that people do turn to philanthropy in times of adversity. And I was thinking Notre Dame sort of springs to mind and being almost, a, well, just over a year ago um, is one of the biggest examples of that. But I think for me, the important things are identify why you need people to give. And this is, this is the need. And in our case, it was the vulnerable artists. And that message was really articulated around them and the loss of income. I guess, secondly, making sure there's a real clear plan and that people understand what's expected of them and how things will play out. Something that will evolve as it goes on, as, as, as I saw within the first 48 hours, that sort of really blew a lot of the, <clears throat> a lot of the planning that I, I'd set out. A clear timeline too, I think is really important. Um, not wanting things to drag on. So we were very clear about having four weeks, um, which felt like a good enough time to raise 5,000 pounds but also making sure that there's, there's a real momentum and you know there's a target and we have to hit it so that message can be really ramped up as, as time goes on um, is important. Thank people, which is already a real crucial part of all our work as fundraisers, um, especially in times where everyone's feeling the pinch. I think um, there are many other organizations in society that are more needy in some ways perhaps, or can demonstrate a need better than we can, but thanking people personally, creatively, and really sincerely, as I said before, um, for those who are gener generous enough to choose your cause over other things. Um, and again, I guess that post-campaign post follow-up is really important, mm -hmm. and making sure you continue to demonstrate impact of your work to the people who have supported you. Um, as I said before, it might be the first time that people have given to your um, organization or connected with you as donors, or even people who have been in the network and this is their first donation, but they've known about your work for a long time. Um, and the success of a campaign can demonstrate the solidarity and the impact that supporters have on small charities. So getting that message out and helping raise awareness to the wider public, thanking donors publicly, um, and showing prospective supporters that when it comes to it, you will act on your mission and mm. um, can be a really 
really nice way to to use a success of any campaign. So if I, if I was to say anything, that would be it. <laughs> I think that's the really interesting thing when we talk about other courses potentially being seen as more needy. And I think for me, it sort of links back to what you were saying before of some of the comments you got of people saying, we're going to need you in the future. We need to have uh, a vibrant arts and culture sector when we come out at the end of this. We need to have young artists who can make sure that we can still access high quality art and culture. And this idea, actually, we're playing to different needs. So someone can have the need to support people who are absolutely on the front line of combating coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But actually that need of saying, but I don't want to just come out of the end of this actually into just I guess more of that same sort of lockdown where there's nothing that you can engage with we want to make sure that the things we value most about our our lives about our societies about our communities are still there on the other side as well absolutely and I think as a sector we're seeing that with donors who are giving back their tickets as donations rather than Mm -hmm. asking for refunds and philanthropists who are capable of making big gifts who are to help organizations stay alive because they do appreciate it. Um, but again, it's that around that message of, of what is the need, I think, mm. but identifying why you need people to give uh, and making sure that's real crystal, crystal clear. So you mentioned YCAT is a team of six and I'm guessing you, you've had to being sort of constant contact with each other as, as this campaign has been progressing. So how have you been keeping in touch? How have you been engaging with each other? Well, being a really small, uh, small outfit, we're all involved in every single part of what happens um, in WICAT, which is part of its success. I, I think we're all, we all pitch in on different sides of whether it's artist management, whether it's the career events, whether it's marketing ideas of different things. So, Obviously, it's been quite strange not being in the office with everyone all the time. Um, but we're keeping in touch with Zoom meetings two and three times a week um, with with teams. And then me and Alistair are in touch every single day um, about different things. And it, it's we've adapted really, really well, I think, actually. And even, you know, having a, a WhatsApp group between us all as well for things that need emergency responses. Um, We've all been connected all the time, actually, which has been really nice. One of the things that strikes me as we've been talking today is I get the sense of, of just how much you bear that responsibility to the artist on a sort of personal level. And I'm just wondering how how are you able to, to sort of manage that and, and keep on top of that given isolation are there ways that as a group you've been able to sort of support each other because it does take a toll on on individuals and particularly on that fundraising side that sense of responsibility yeah and in, in terms of the artists we um alistair has been having zoom meetings one-on-one with them and to make sure that their mental health and their well-being is, is is fine and making sure there's a connection between us and them which is really important but I think it's testament to YCAT and the staff that work there is really being behind the mission, which may sound a little cliche in some ways, but we all really believe there is this responsibility for us to, to deliver. Um, and of course, you know, we talk about that at length, but between us, between us all, but everything, everything decision we make, every conversation we have is always very YCAT second. You know, in in terms of the bottom line of YCAT was not the first thing that came to mind when this crisis kicked off. It was more, well, this is the amount of this is the amount of loss the artists are making. How can we help that? And we'll think about YCAT second, which I think is definitely one of the reasons that I was attracted to YCAT as an organisation. Um, really, really very mission driven, but artist driven too, um, and that sense of care. It's just like no other. You've already talked about how you hope that that deeper connection with donors will continue sort of long after coronavirus and this lockdown. Are there any other changes you've seen over these last few weeks that you hope will continue once once we're at the other side of this? Time, I think, is the biggest change that we've seen. Um, 
or working from home, saving time commuting, having time to think about strategies going forward. Um, and for me as personally thinking about our case for support going forward, you know, having, having um, real freedom to think about that. But the connection that artists are having with supporters, I think is a change that we've seen. Um, of course, the Hardship Fund is a complete shift in Wycat's business model. We don't usually give grants out to the artists, a lot of the work and we do a lot of the funding we receive is for the core work of what we do on behalf of the artists as managers and um, that sort of pastoral care. So the change in knowing that there is scope to do future campaigns, mm -hmm. there is a real strong family out there that support our work. Um, and potentially the change in attitude from the industry and the wider public about our work um, is something I hope that will will continue into the future. So lots of and lots of those positive things that have come out out of this, and I think as you said that that time to plan I think is going to be really key. Particularly I think when we start moving from a I guess a panic crisis mindset into saying actually we've now just got to work out how we keep these organisations going and how we rebuild or for some organisations how we change direction completely to to respond to this. And how we how we collaborate going forward, I think, will be a huge, um, huge eye opener for the industry, in saying not being protective about the work that each organisation does, but actually for a wider, greater good, that we can work together and and be more collaborative, and something that I know Arts Council is very um, keen on, which is set out in their strategy too. But on a personal side obviously we've seen lots of organizations putting out digital content and trying to um, keep some artistic and cultural work going that people can engage with are there any things that you've seen that you'd recommend to to people listening well it'd be remiss of me not to mention all the wonderful um content that ycat's putting out um and concerts um that we are streaming of past concerts and um, bedroom concerts and living room concerts of the artists um uh, but I think obviously the National Theatre and the, and the Royal Opera House and spring to mind. Um, I saw the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra too put some concerts out. Um, but I think there's, there's lots and lots of, of things which is a, as a pro and a con to. Um, it's difficult to catch everything. Mm. In fact, on Friday, I watched the Monteverdi Choir and Orchestra. They streamed a concert from the past, um, which was just really nice to, to feel connected again to some sort of music making. But other than that, I think that there's, there's so much happening that mm. if anything, more than ever before, that, um, but definitely there are definitely some um, good things to see. Well, we'll definitely include a link to the YCAT recordings uh, on the webpage with the, with the podcast so people can find those and have a listen. Uh, Kieran, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks so much for sharing uh, that background to, to that appeal and huge congratulations on being able to smash through that target and raise some really much needed cash then for, for the artists you're supporting. Well, thank you very much for having me on and speaking. It's been, it's been a pleasure. What an incredible achievement. I'm so grateful to Kieran for giving up his time today to talk to me about the appeal. Raising £100,000, 25% of your annual fundraising target in four weeks is no mean feat, especially when it's the first time an organisation has run an appeal. I think there's a huge amount we can learn from YCAT's experience of this campaign, but there are three things in particular that really stood out for me. The first is how their clear sense of the organisation's mission meant they were able to move so decisively. They knew what the organisation was set up to do, which meant when it came to making these decisions, they knew the right path, they knew the action they were supposed to take. And the fact that their donors, their existing supporters, also understood that mission meant when the appeal went out and when that message landed, their supporters agreed, this is absolutely what the organisation should be doing. We, we back you and... And we trust that this is the right thing to do. The second thing that 
that really stood out was the comments that Kieran got from one of his supporters when asked why they'd chosen to donate. And they said that we, we're giving money now because we want to make sure that there's an arts and culture sector on the other side of this. And I think that really challenges this sense that there are other needy causes out there. And I think this idea of trying to pit different causes as being more or less needy than each other at this time is really unhelpful and is it's actually quite a simplistic way of viewing things. It suggests that there's a universally accepted league table of need at this time that every single person buys into and everyone shares the same understanding of which causes are more or less needy. When in actual fact, our donors are much more complex than that. Different people have different needs at different times. And for some people, making sure that there is an arts and culture sector on the other side of coronavirus is much higher up that list. This idea of ranking also suggests that our donors can only focus on one problem or on one need at a time. And again, I don't think that's true. I think we see people who are absolutely looking to the short term and saying, what can we do to help combat this? Who are the organisations we can support in this short term, in this immediate term, to fight against this virus? But at the same time, having a view towards that medium term of thinking, well, what comes next? And it's absolutely natural for people who have derived huge amounts of joy from the arts and culture sector during their life, that they want to make sure that there is still an arts and culture sector to go back to when lockdown ends and when it comes to reimagining what that new normal might look like wanting to make sure that having high quality arts and culture available to them on the other side is absolutely part of that vision finally i love the fact that as a result of running this campaign ycat are going to have a much stronger much deeper relationship with their supporters than before I think there's been a lot of nervousness from organisations, people worried that if they launch a campaign or if they're seen to be fundraising at this time, that it will have a negative impact on their brand and that they'll be seen to be crass or insensitive for fundraising when there's so much else going on. Whereas in Wycat's case, it's, it's absolutely the opposite that is true, that by reaching out to people, by connecting people, by giving them a chance to help and by giving them a chance to connect with the artists that Wycat support that that relationship is going to be stronger and I think they're going to be seeing the benefit of that long after the hardship fund has been spent out that's it for episode three thanks very much for listening huge thanks again to Kieran for giving up his time to tell us about Wycat's appeal and I want to end by saying I completely agree with Kieran's donor and I really hope that we're going to continue to have a vibrant really high quality arts and culture sector once we've overcome coronavirus. So I want to say a huge thank you to everyone out there that's continuing to fundraise for the sector at this time. Stay safe and I look forward to talking to you soon.